This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Garden of Sound, presented by The Nephilist. I'm your host, Ian Turner. Garden of Sound is all about original music in Christchurch and the people who make that music. Today, I'll introduce you to a phenomenally talented trumpeter. He's been plying his trade with Salmonella Dub Sound System, among other groups, but that's not the whole story. He's a bassist, composer, arranger, and he started getting into the world of electronic dance music production. He lives in Melbourne these days, but spent many of his formative years in Tuahiwi. This is Simon Kay. Simon, tell me, what's your first musical memory? Well, I was brought up in a Pentecostal religious cult and uh, music was a uh, massive part of, of, of their outreach, you know, um, getting people into the church and also part of, like, uh, all of the sort of services or meetings. So my dad was and my mum were very involved in, in music and performance. So, um, ever, you know, ever, ever since I was born into that. So that was something that was con- pretty much constant. And, um, but another main one was my dad used to play records and I remember, um, I used, well, stories, I used to run down the hallway, um, to the theme from Six Million Dollar Man, um, played by the Daly Wilson big band, which is an Australian big band. So he'd play that and I'd just run down and like just basically smash my little brother who was probably about just learning how to walk. So when did you start uh, performing or playing? I started playing when I was about, I think, nine and a half my dad, uh, he, he sat me and my brother down and said, um, "Okay, boys, go into the into your bedrooms and have a think for ten minutes about what what type of ins- what which instrument you want to play." He didn't say, "Do you want to play an instrument?" He said, "Go and choose which one you wanted to play." And um, my dad was a classical guitarist and trombonist, um, and I chose trumpet because I always liked the idea of you know the last trumpet. I I, I like the idea of um, you know the Bible story where basically Armageddon and, and um, where, uh, you know, the, the Lord comes through, crashing through the clouds on chari- on fiery chariots and uh, reclaiming the earth. And there, there's the last trumpet, what, which starts that whole uh, series of events. Did you play music as a family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We performed as a family and um, Dad taught me how to play trumpet and taught Michael how to play classical guitar. So what instruments do you play uh, these days? Well, trumpet's my first instrument. Uh, electric bass is my second instrument. Uh, I used to, and probably thirdly is percussion. And I, I do, I'm a, I do DJing every now and again, but I did dabble in clarinet and saxophone for a while. Has it always been music for you or was there any any other uh, diversion, any other career that been? Um, well, I used to um, draw when I was about 11 and 12, I used to I, I used to draw plans of houses and stuff like that. So I was, the, the idea was I was going to go into, into architecture. Um, so, you know, I got into tech drawing and all that sort of stuff. I always loved painting and drawing and printmaking. So there was those two, two, two sorts of things, you know. So you talked about uh, growing up and uh, your dad being an influence for you to to start music uh who were your other musical influences along the way well probably louis armstrong was um um, the most major influence for me um we dad used to play all that dixieland uh, band stuff and um and listening to louis armstrong yeah it just grabbed me it just resonated with me 
Why was Louis Armstrong so amazing? Firstly, his tone, um, his delivery, his just, I like the way Louis Armstrong, every single note matters. I love bebop as well, where there's many notes and they're sort of leading into each other. But the way, the, I just love the, uh, maybe the lyrical uh, and melodic approach that Louis Armstrong uh, had towards improvisation, where every note, counted he the, the front of every note you know the articulation that's the or the attack of every note was right there the tone was there it, the length of the note even the end of the note like if you listen to his his um playing he meant and was conscious of everything that he was playing how much does louis influence how you play or or write um i think it's quite huge because i i used to uh yeah hugely because yeah i used to like uh basically learn his solos and some there's there's one album in particular called Satch Plays Fats which is um Louis Armstrong with the Hot Five I think um I think it was the 1940s um and we had that on tape and I've listened to it thousands of times I've I've got it on vinyl now and I still listen to it all the time and I'll never ever get sick of hearing that is there any, anyone else out there um maybe not comparable to Louis Armstrong but anyone up and coming modern day that's uh you know as good no potentially is there somebody else out there who can eclipse or surpass his genius i don't think so i think it was a a timing thing the way that jazz was um developing we're talking about um an art form that was just it was like a wildfire the um you know the the influence that that music had and the rate that it was growing and developing um and evolving was um was was so powerful that um it was i mean they call louis armstrong the king of jazz and jazz is the beginning of modern western music i don't think we can go backwards towards that also his facility and just the idea that you know like in terms of modern music jazz wasn't really played in america until louis armstrong was um over in uh, you know europe playing doing tours and that's when the American or the North American um, uh, record companies realised they could actually make some money out of it. Is there a jazz of today? Um, for me, it is involved in electronic music um, and also playing live. For me, jazz is all about communication through the music. So when I see um, electronic artists or electronic dance music artists or even yeah, just, just electronic music, um, when I see that type of um, interaction and communication through the music like so where someone plays something and then the other people or the other person on stage plays something that's a reaction to that um i think that's pretty much jazz when you're improvising and communicating like that yeah so what's your feeling to plugging in a memory stick and hitting the space bar if you're talking in terms of like uh almost like ipod playing or just uh, selecting like that i think i think that does i mean for, for me i think what's important these days is is connection between people i find that with uh, what what's going on it's like uh, people get uh, a little bit um disconnected really so when someone's playing off their ipod or off a usb stick and they're reacting to the people around them and the other people around them are reacting to the music that's connection so yeah that's cool that's fine i mean i do it we, we all do it we've been talking about musical influences uh, is there a specific track you'd like to share from uh, one of your influences along the way yeah um it would put the track would be um Ain't Misbehaving um, by Louis Armstrong from the album Satch Plays Fats. That's, that's what I would play, yeah. Satch Plays Fats. 
one to talk with by myself. No one to walk with. I may be on the shelf. Miss Baby, save my love. Oh, no for Satan, the one I love, the food flaming you that I'm thinking of, misbehaving, saving love. I love that. Like Jack Horner in the corner, don't go nowhere, and I don't care. All your kisses I waited, waiting for. Believe me, I don't stay out late, don't get a go. I'm about eight million radio. I take it from me, from me, young. Simon, tell me about the uh, the first gig that you um, first gig you paid money to attend. I probably actually it was probably De La Soul here in in Christchurch, yeah, in the in the in the early nineties. Tell me about the gig. Tell me about what you remember. Well, that was the first time I actually saw hip hop live, and um, yeah, the energy was pretty wild. Um, I found it a bit frustrating the fact that I, the sound wasn't very clear. Um, just going to a live thing where you know listening to we'd been listening to those tunes. Um, you know we're talking about you know Saturday you know, roller skate jam whatever. You know like listening to that on the stereo and then hearing it live. I was it was I found it a little frustrating that um, I couldn't hear all the aspects in the music, but the energy of the audience and the energy of the performance um, are def- more than made up for that. 
you know, and that, cause that was a different thing. I wasn't really, you know, just, I was still in, in this Pentecostal church. So I didn't really get much of an opportunity to go out and, you know, into, into those types of environments. Uh, who else have you seen in this, this wonderful part of the world live? Um, the first time where I was really grabbed by a sound system and f- could fully um, realise um, the power of, of a properly tuned sound system was in the beautiful uh, Christchurch Town Hall, which acoustically is, is um, well, hopefully it still is, uh, is, is phenomenal. The actual response and, and the acoustics in, in Christchurch Town Hall uh, main auditorium is, is stunning. Um, so hearing UB40 playing in there was, was massive. Just hearing like the bass response and, and I still remember the feeling of hearing the bass coming through massive like reggae subs. So yeah, that was massive. Just feeling that in my gut. Um, so that was, yeah, that was massive. Just feeling that, you know, that, that changed my life. Have you traveled anywhere else around the world and, uh, got a sort of a hand taste of that sort of like dub sound system yeah. kind of feel? Notting Hill Festival was was pretty wild. Seeing seeing all those sort of reggae sound systems on um, on the trucks and moving around and you know like just like all this also the mashup of all those different uh, sound systems playing at the same time rolling through it was and hearing the difference between the different sound systems that was pretty magical. Yeah, that that was that's cool and I lo- I love I, you know I love hearing you know being at like reggae sound system j- uh, clashes or or mashups. Yeah, that's cool. You've been playing for over. 30 years now, well over 30 years. Well, uh, well, not that well over, a bit over. <laughs> you've been playing for about 100 years now. There must have been, um, there must have been some nightmares while you've been, been on the stage, things that didn't quite go to plan. Yeah, uh, playing a festival in New Zealand with a particular band that was trying to do, what well, was actually one person who got a band together. For a, yeah, for a start, the, the, dude, the first rehearsal, the guys were late quite late at least 40 minutes which is which is a no-no um and also we were um, rehearsing in a ex-retirement village near a tannery right so um i was sitting in the car it's hot hot crushes norwest a day right near the tannery up near towards ferrymead or whatever and already the, the stench was almost unbearable and i was like oh thank goodness the dudes have finally turned up you know because I, I was listening we were, you know I was, I was sat near this tannery and then we open the door and go into the ex-retirement village and the overwhelming stench of death was not just overpowering but permeating. Yeah, that was revolting. Anyway, so that was bad enough. But then we actually ended up going and doing this uh, gig at a festival and we played the Macarena. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was when the Macarena was cool. Anyway, the worst thing, like, the, the yeah, this one still sticks with me. It's like... Count in one, two, three, four. Hey, Macarena. Like the the idea that it slowed down that that much on stage was embarrassing, uncomfortable. So, what was terrible? What have you learned from this? To say no, I've learned to say no. If, if um, you know, it's nice to be involved in musical projects um, and to keep busy, but if the musical project is going to make you feel bad, then just say no. Even just, go, I mean, it's taught me to go with a gut reaction, really, when you're talking to someone or someone comes up with an idea instead of 
letting the brain justify it and or talk yourself into it, like going with a gut feeling on something, using that intuition, which we don't get told about in schools or anywhere else. I believe it exists and I believe it's important to try and stay, stay true to that feeling and, and the feeling of things being okay. And also when things aren't okay, feeling that too. You've been an employed musician for, for quite a long time. You've talked about timekeeping, being on time. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd sort of pass on to perhaps the younger listeners out there? I think it's important, well, for me anyway, and I know a lot of people feel the same way, is, and is when you say you're going to do something, do it. Um, be Being prepared as well. Um, yeah, it's t- sometimes it's difficult um, having time. To, to be fully prepared, but the idea of turning up to a rehearsal or a gig unprepared is wasting everyone's time. So you're better off saying no to that. Um, you know, some people can get through doing things um, on, on less preparation, but if you say you're going to do something, um, turn up on time, be prepared. Going back to the live music scene, uh, you're living in Australia. Do you want to talk about the Australian live music scene? Maybe even even Sydney. Yeah. What's just, been happening? What's been happening over there for the live music? Well, I've I've just moved to Melbourne from Sydney, where I was living for 16 years. Um, what's happened in Sydney? I believe is a a uh, it's they call it lockout laws where they lock the city down. Like, like live music can't be played after a certain time, and they close clubs at a certain time. Lockout laws, they're doing, I mean, they say they're doing it for safety, but I believe the reality is it's a neoliberal um, device used to try and increase property values. Um, and the idea of trying to keep, keep people off the streets or getting people to go home is actually called curfew. So, yeah, that's what I believe. And so they've, they're, they've, they're killing the live music scene. Um, because people were complaining about venues being too loud and on and young people having fun on the streets because basically the baby boomers want to go to bed early and they want their property prices and values to go up. So what's happening in Melbourne? Is it similar? They tried to do that in Melbourne, um, but what happened was they like, and one of the wonderful things about Melbourne is people are quite activated in Melbourne and they have different priorities and their priorities seem to be more about lifestyle and culture and actually enjoying their life in, as opposed to um, looking at their property prices and, and trying to um, accumulate wealth. So when they in, uh, when they introduced those laws, that, w- that was the first place in Australia where they did it, um, there was a, an uprising and um, basically they, they the, those laws got thrown out after I think two months. Whereas in Sydney, it took two years for um, anyone. There's a group called Keep Sydney Open, which has is, is, is been running. Um, what would you call it? Well, they, they've been they've been act, uh, protesting, basically getting tens of thousands of people on the street and doing day parties and trying to do night parties. But it took them two years to come up with the first protest. So what happened was, uh, I was surprised that there was that the venues like Kings Cross, for instance. Uh, which was renowned in the Southern Hemisphere as the place to go all night, any night. You could go and see stuff. Sure, there's strip clubs and hookers and junkies and everything else and gangsterism and whatnot, but there was also lots of music um, going on, live music, electronic music. King's Cross is now dead. Um, So, yeah, and it'll never come back. Actually, I made a joke. I was like, you know, not a joke, but, you know, sometimes you, get, you either laugh or you cry or you get real angry or you leave. <laughs> so I was talking about Sydney becoming a retirement village and someone said, uh, well, actually, this club that we used to go to in King's Cross has um, has turned into an actual nursing home. 
<laughs> yes, that's weird. From the sublime to the ridiculous, let's talk about some music that you love. Is there a um, a particular track which has been with you all through the years, something which has sort of kept its vibrance, originality, feel, something you love, absolutely love, that you like to play? Well, yeah, yeah. It'll probably be James Brown's Funky Drummer. That's that's something, you know, like that drum beat is probably the most sampled piece of music in history so far. And I just I just love that feel of it, you know. So that, yeah, James Brown, Funky Drummer, the, the full track is, yeah, is the business for me. I never get sick of hearing or playing that one. Thank you. 
one more time. I want to give the drummer some of this funky soul we got here. You don't have to do no soloing, brother. Just keep what you got. Don't turn it loose, because it's a mother. When I count to four, I want everybody to lay out and let the drummer go. And when I count to four, I want you to come back in. <laughs> it's in my collar. Uh, I got the holler. I said it's in my feet. Uh, feels so sweet. It's in my shape. Good God. Uh, about to wake me to death. It's in my shape. You're about to wake me to death. It's in my shape. I walk the floor. Simon, tell me about um, original music and you composing. What's the process? How does it go from an idea in your head, you know, out into the out into the real world? Coming from a jazz background, I've always loved the idea of the interaction between other players. So for me, um, probably the most usual method that I use would be I write a sketch. Like so, I'll, I'll write something like a bass line, a melody, have an idea of what type of rhythm, like drum beat, it's going to be a basic form. And then I'll just take that to the band and I'll just say, look, this is a sketch, this is the idea, mess around with it, play whatever you feel is, is going to be right, you know, like right for you and right for the sound. So, I lo- uh, And what I love about that is instead of composing all the things and having all the notes nailed down, the idea that, um, you know, I trust the, those, those players to make it tastier, it's just, that's just, I find that, always find that really magical because they've taken something that already sounded pretty cool in my head and, and made it even even more cool. Um, and uh, it was something that I hadn't even thought of, you know, so I love that. Primarily, how do you, um, how do you come up with those ideas? Do you, do you compose on trumpet or is there some other? I compose in my head. Yeah, so I, yeah, I'll, I'll basically look, I mean, I, I, I'm a trumpet player, so I um, believe in melody being very important. 
Um, so yeah, and I love I love like strong bass lines as well. So coming up with those two together in my head, you know, the the type of beat automatically um, lend, leads itself in in to that sound, and then yeah, and then I just run it around my head, and generally I'll try and write it down really quickly, or you know, yeah, just write the notes out usually without an instrument and then um, go and work on the harmonies and stuff like that on a keyboard or guitar or bass and then um, and then think about arrangements and like throwing if I'm going to throw a bridge in there and or if I'm going to you know there's going to be a verse chorus type thing or whether it's going to be an instrumental or or a yeah for the traditional instruments or the real live instruments do you use um, your computer for putting putting any of that in or is that mainly for your um, electronic music I actually I've recently I've been getting into um, using a quite an- antiquated uh, device called the sp404 of by made by Roland it was um, used a lot in hip-hop especially by Jay Diller um, who it was he was massive on that you know it's a, just a great way of though I, I love the way his process um, you know he's he's freaking amazing and his, his stuff's just so funky. But another thing I love about his 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 stuff is that he was so prolific with the amount of beats that he would write. I mean, I've seen videos where he's just got a whole bunch of records. He just throws down a record, records it straight into the SP four hundred four, and then um, throws some beats on top of it, and he's done. He's made he's made this beat. This, you know, with with little backing sounds and effects, and that's um, it's taken him like four minutes and so that one runs for like three minutes or something like that and he moves on to the next one so I used to be uh, I used to just ponder over ideas and probably overthink them and try and, and spend you know hours and hours trying to perfect something whereas now um, you know and that's cool and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't but uh, what I've found now is it's probably I've found it more beneficial to and better results from Instead of spending like three hours working on one track, spend three hours writing sketches and letting it come out with that creative process. Because, I mean, I think the thing, I think one of the one most important techniques about making art is knowing when something's finished. And I think it's better to leave something half finished than overdoing something. How do you objectively discern when you've reached that point? I think it's about how it feels, and you know. Um, I think the idea, like listening to something going, oh, and then imagining the extra stuff that you could put in, I think that's about the point because um, if it's too cluttered, it's not going to work. And I think leaving space for the listener's imagination is is important. And that's one of the things that I really love about New Zealand music um, is that there's a lot of space in it. So the ideas are really strong and emotive. Um, but the space in, in a lot of New Zealand music, especially I'm, I'm thinking about like, especially like dub and, and electronic music, hip hop in, in New Zealand, it has enough space in it for the listener. It's, you know, like it's kind of like a conversation with the listener. That's like the idea comes out, then there's a bit of space. You know, the idea I'm talking about, like a melody or a, a sound, and then there's a bit of space. And that space gives a time, the, I think, it gives the listener time to actually for their brain or soul or heart or whatever it is that feels from music to actually react to it. And that's when I think it's finished because you, if you were listening to it on your own, you'd go, oh, there's that space in there. I need to fill that up. But in fact, I think that's the imagination and the idea that you're going, oh, yeah, there's that space in here. It's not finished, but actually it is finished because it's actually made you feel something. 
Sexism in the music industry. Sexism's everywhere. There's some wonderful female performers, producers, writers, DJs, everything. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a boys' club. It always has been. I mean, the whole world's been a boys' club. Let's be honest. So yeah, we need to be aware of that stuff, and and we need to yeah make some space to, for for women to to be heard. The reality is, women are actually probably more in touch with rhythm and music. Than, than men that's that's my that's what I think like you you just need to just watch how women dance to to for that to be obvious what's your best what's your best musical memory project gig performance probably um, making music with my brother Michael Kay as he's a saxophonist when we had a gig playing our original music in Coogee which is like a beach near Bondi in Sydney and playing with some really tasty Sydney players and Jared Masters, a, a, a keyboard player from Christchurch, playing there at this beautiful beach, um, you know, uh, up on at a place called the Coogee Palace, just overlooking this beach in the afternoon, Saturday afternoons we had a residency, but yeah, playing that and also having my grandmother coming along, checking out that gig when she was like, I don't know, 95, and she was like dancing around because she always likes dancing amongst other things and uh, yeah but she was yeah she's 95 and she's like the grace that she had dancing around was just nuts in fact she was so good that she was the one who got us an encore but after my grandmother cutting up the rug like that like people were just cheering for her to come back or us to play another tune so she would dance again so she stole the show yeah that's that was probably yeah one of the most touching moments musically for me so far have you got any plans to uh, play with your brother again one day? Yeah, definitely. He's in Shanghai now. He's a music teacher uh, there in Shanghai. But um, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. You know, playing music, I believe there's like ESP and telepathy that goes on in, in that. And especially when it comes to playing jazz and, and, you know, communicating through the music like that. And, you know, to be honest, him and I have a symbiosis musically, which um, is unparalleled for me anyway. Have you got any unfulfilled ambitions? Uh, yeah, I want to play with. I want to play with Prince, maybe one day, some somewhere. <laughs> Anything achievable in this lifetime? Um, yeah, I've always wanted to go. I've never done a tour playing around Europe, so I'd like to do that. Also, yeah, basically, I want to join the circus. I had an opportunity once, but um, yeah. I'm, oh yeah, join the circus just for a bit. Simon, it's been amazing catching up with you again. Um, yeah, yeah, man. Is there a track in particular that you'd like to take us out with today? Yeah, actually, there's, there's. I've, got, I've just uh, come back from this this festival that uh, we're hanging out and partying at uh, called Blazing Swan in Perth, and um, there's, you know, I, I do a bit of DJing here and there, um, and there's one track called Lark Ascending by a producer called Geode. G-E-O-D-E. So I'd like to play that because that's my track of the month, really. It's been getting me going. I like it. (laughs) 
Thanks for joining me today. Remember, Garden of Sound is about the music that's happening around you. So please do spread the word to your friends about this show and get out as much as you can to enjoy live original music. And if you'd like to be on the show, head to gardenofsound.nz and follow the links. I'm Ian Turner. This has been Garden of Sound, presented by The Nephilist. I look forward to bringing you a brand new show, same time, next week. <laughs>